No, clearly not. Hello and howdy. Thanks for joining us on the Canon Stats podcast, the weekly Arsenal Analytics podcast. We are back after a, a break. I took a vacation. I missed all sorts of good stuff. But I am back and I am joined by Adam, as always. Welcome, Adam. How are you doing? Enjoying the international break again? Nope. I uh, <laughs> do not like international breaks. I think I've talked about this on the podcast before. Um, I don't know if it's because the U.S. men's team typically isn't doing anything very exciting or meaningful, and I just kind of grew up with that, but I hate international soccer for the most part. Uh, Can't really get into it. Can't get very excited about even Arsenal players accomplishing much in it, unless it's like at the biggest point, Um, because, you know, you get you get like Bruno Fernandez getting gassed up for creating like 12 (laughs) chances against Andorra or something like that. You know, or, or last season it was Odegaard against what is it, Gibraltar. Uh, so who cares is my takeaway. I love my club more than my country. Uh, would take an Arsenal Arsenal Champions League or Premier League over an American World Cup any day. Yep. Uh, and yeah, it's just, I mean, you know, another big thing for me is like even, even a lot of the games that I actually want to watch, like one cool thing about being, I mean, sometimes it, it's a pain, but one cool thing is like these games are on during the day here. I love that. Yeah, because uh, I still have a whole day after I watch, you know, Arsenal Manchester City was at like 1030 my time. Um, so I still have like a whole day after that. Uh, and, you know, with kids and everything, sometimes uh, it happening during the work day can be kind of nice. <laughs> but then, you know, uh, I don't know, just these 7, 8 p.m. games. I feel like a lot of the South American games kick off even later than that sometimes. Um, I just, I find myself not really watching it that much. And even you're not, you're not gassed up for USMNT to, you know, feature Kai Havertz at the Meadowlands. No, I mean, who cares? <laughs> yeah. Nobody. Right. Yeah. And half of them are friendlies anyway. And like, uh, and, and like an, another third beyond that are the league the, or what is it called? The, the league of nations, which who cares? Uh, I feel like it, it I, you know, maybe maybe this is just being an Arsenal fan specifically, but I feel like international football just exists to like create problems for Arsenal. Um, <laughs> it's just you know, like from Kieran Tierney to Party coming back injured, and just so many players in between. It's just I've grown to just dislike it so much. So I'm glad to see some guys getting a break this time. That's my preference. Not Absolutely. that I don't want them to play for their country, but you know, stay home. Like we just beat Manchester City. Let's build on this. <laughs> Yeah, so it looks like we have at least another month before the next one because I think there's an international break coming up here in November. Yeah. So then, and then we'll have uh, the break for the the Asian Cup and the Africa Cup of Nations. So that'll be a, a bummer. And then we then we get a good break until March when then there's another another you know set of uh, I think that's the final one of the the season for at least the the calendar year or at least the the calendar season. So just, just yeah. a couple more to 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 suffer through. My favorite international break of the season is the last one. Always. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, lots to lots to talk about today, um, even though it is an international break. Um, you know, so we haven't gotten um, a chance to get together and talk about Manchester City. Um, nope. So I think that's a, a good place to start. 
Um, so what, what, I mean, yeah, any big observations from this match? Um, I mean, yeah. from a high level, uh, <laughs> this is this is good. Arsenal should beat Manchester City. Uh, this this helps the title odds, um, all those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. But any any bigger takeaways that you had from the match? Well, I mean, I'm never, I'm never, ever, ever going to look this gift horse in the mouth. Um, beating Manchester City, I don't care if it is three xg to zero, and Arsenal, <laughs> and Arsenal take that one. Like, I'm right, yeah, if it, I don't care if it's a zero shot and we win on an own goal. Right, I don't like, care. No, at all. I, I literally do not care. I don't care if the only reason that they won is that Ederson turned around and kicked it in his own goal in the 98th minute. Like that, that's, I mean, that's obviously you know not as exciting as I think coming out and tactically doing a really good job and all that good stuff. But so I, you know, I, I did find that in like the day after, and I've, I've been on Twitter a lot less lately, which is I think good for my mental health, but um, you know, I, f- I feel like there's kind of, it's kind of been interesting to watch like the, the narrative about Arsenal's playing style this season. Um, you know, I feel like I've seen a lot more open, a lot more uh, people always say like, like uh, liquid, you know, fluent style of football, but um, then you go to Man City and they kind of truck through it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and this, you know, the season I think is really the theme has been just such a, a pivot to controlling games. The field tilt has been outrageous in a lot of games, um, and it was in this one too. I would never, in a million years, have expected like a two thirds field tilt to Arsenal, mm-hmm. even though it was even though it was at the Emirates. I would still would have expected City to do better than that. And I, I know that they had some significant missing players. Obviously, Rodri is, is the huge one. Uh, De Bruyne is also very big because he can create something out of nothing, which we've seen him do a lot against Arsenal over the years. But, you know, Bukayo Saka wasn't in that game either. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, it's just it's just a result that I feel really good about. It's probably the most excited I've been watching Arsenal, like on this couch right behind me with my kids, I I think after the game I just yelled probably eight times like we beat you, <laughs> <laughs> as we were showing like the guys walking off the pitch and stuff. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I just it was it was a performance that I think I tweeted at the time like I have never seen Arsenal play a game like that. Um, I don't know that I ever expected it, but the control uh, and the second half was just so like one-sided um, absolutely not not that arsenal came out and t- took 15 shots in that half or anything like that but manchester city took zero manchester city is like the probably the best attack yeah, i think it was world. it was seven to seven to one in the second or seven to two in the second half okay. or something like that yeah but it was like but it was nothing after the 58th minute from manchester city that's probably the stat that i had in mind um, yeah but yeah i mean even even two and a half against manchester city i mean this is a club that uh, is not a four shots a game attack by any means. Like this is this is a twenty shots a game club minimum. I take it Even back. Th- it was one shot in the second half. Okay. Well, we were both wrong then. Yeah. This is a good podcast. Uh, <laughs> I no. I it's just some of the like Pep the lowest number of shots in any Pep Manchester City game. Mm-hmm. Um. So it's just hugely encouraging. It really is. Uh. I think we're at the point now where, you know, I'm not doing like radar charts or anything off of this yet. I still want to get to like 10 games, but eight games in the league. I think this has been a consistent enough theme that we can say, I think, I think this is intended to be this style. Uh, I don't think that this is an accident. Um, You know, if, if Arsenal can become a little bit more uh, kind of the thing, the thing that's been going wrong when the results don't go well is that those little chances are all going in for the opposition 
Um, if Arsenal can be a little bit more of that, like clinical or whatever word you want to use where they're, I think right now they're trailing XG just by a little bit, but um, you know, just, just some of those like 0.1 XG point, 08s going in for goals would be, I think, another big step forward and just creating Absolutely. more chances in general. Yeah, and so on that theme, so I did look this up um, when I went to do the the debrief. So last year, only three times Manchester City had less field tilt. So that was against uh, Arsenal, Brighton, and Brentford. The Brighton and Brentford were after they had won the title. So it was only Arsenal that beat them in a truly competitive match that they actually cared about. Um, all of those were um, 55% or lower, so like pretty much in contention. Um, mm-hmm. I did go back and look here. So the last time a team had more than 60% field tilt and Arsenal's was 66 um, in this was uh, going back to May 2021. And that was uh, Graham Potter's Brighton uh, going against them. And I think that was another one where they had already won the title. So really yeah. kind of thinking like a game in the balance where Manchester City fielded a strong team that they actually cared about the result. This is an incredibly rare thing for a team to be able to do this against Manchester City. Yeah. Um, and I think that is absolutely the game plan that we're seeing from Arteta. It it has to be. I mean, it just it's been eight games now, I think with the exception of maybe like Bournemouth and PSV, I think you really haven't seen like a really, really free-flowing you know, everything going forward and ending up with three or four goals type of a game from Arsenal. Um, It's been a lot of like, you know, I feel like we talk so much about the death by a thousand passes when they get up one, get up two, but like the, like, I know, I know you had some stats in the debrief, like the, the long strings of possession, Mm -hmm. you know, there were some, there were some, uh, some clips going around about with Raya's distribution, uh, late in in the city game where he plays a, a long ball really well. I think it was Havertz tracks it down, turns around, passes it back. The ball goes all the way back to Raya, <laughs> still in possession. Raya takes another long kick and we win that one too. Like this seems very systematic, I think, by Arteta. And and interestingly, I would uh I would even argue that winning games like Manchester City um is a far more uh like applicable, far more um what am I trying to say? Repeatable type of style that could help you win, say, an international trophy. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at some of the teams who have won the the Premier League, or at least, or sorry, the Champions League, or some of the some of the teams who have knocked out the likes of like Bayern Munich uh, when they lost to Villarreal. Um, just some of those upsets they happen against these clubs that are very open and they're controlling the game. They're getting three xG, but then one counterattack that they have no one back there to stop. Dio Upamecano slips or he makes a bad back pass and they lose the game one, one nil because they just weren't, they just weren't converting their chances in front of the goal. So to have rice and Saliba and Gabriel, I mean, it kind of feels like maybe that's the idea. Yeah. So I think one of the things that I want to try to take away from this match is, is this the big game game plan that we have? Um, So I know we we started here with Jorginho in, you know, almost like a double pivot. Um, Rice was given a little bit more of the, the box to box role. Um, Havertz goes to the bench. Um, I'm, I'm kind of leaning towards, I think this might be something that we see in more of the big games where we are looking to solidify the midfield, be able to do it. It probably won't always be Jorginho. It might be a party if he's healthy and available. I think that probably would have been his first choice. Um, had things been there. Um, or do you think this is something that we're going to see more of a pivot towards all of the time? Is this a a big game only, or is this going to be everything now? I, 
I don't think that the that the business that the club did really backs this up to being an all of the time thing. I think if uh, if that were the idea, I think there probably would have been a more traditional double pivot style of eight, maybe with a little bit a little bit of an attacking bias. But like you go to you go to Kai Havertz, he's essentially a number ten, maybe like advanced number eight at Bayer Leverkusen, and and obviously tried tried and failed to convert him to like an out and out superstar striker um, at Chelsea. He's got, so he's got that, that ability to be kind of both depending on what you need him for. <laughs> um, so I, you know, I think, I still think that, you know, against the likes of like Sheffield United, uh, Burnley, probably even up to like your Brentfords and things like that. I do, I do think I expect still more of that dual attacking eight, 10 set up in midfield. Um, but I mean, you know, you go to, you go to Anfield, would that be a great like thing to be able to pivot to? Absolutely. And I think, I just feel like that's something that a lot of people have been looking for from Arteta for Mm -hmm. a while is to have not only, uh, not only one good tactic, but to also suit it to the, to the conditions. Because I know, for example, when party went down, um, I think it was year before last and no one. Well, I guess it was, it was kind of, I think it was when we were chasing top four, right? So when we, we yeah. lost party, that's kind of when everything kind of fell apart. And we were persisting with this idea of like a, a lone six. And then uh, some of the some of the results started to turn a little bit more in our favor again when, you know, lo and behold, he kind of starts playing more of like a pivot again. So um yeah, I just think I think that having having the ability to to not necessarily change everything and turn it on its head, but to make tweaks to play the left eight more as like a box to box, less as like a shadow striker or just an advanced playmaker. Um, I think that's really going to bode really, really well for Arsenal to have that sort of tactical flexibility. Yeah, I know. So I was, um, I was looking at today um, in the newsletter was kind of talking about uh, some of the output. And I know that's something that people are still kind of wringing their hands about. We got used to Arsenal, attack just really kind of flowing last year and it feels like that has been significantly dialed back um you know the classic handbrake has been it feels like applied to um things right now um how much i guess like are you worried about that i think i'm kind of at like a six right now i think there's um some worry there but i'm not fully uh ready to like go overboard with it yet yeah i mean i've I kind of, I kind of have to take like a holistic look at it. Like, I don't think that, I don't think that the key to Arsenal having success in the league, given that we are following, finding this, this other path to success. I don't think it's as reliant on coming out and like out attacking. Um, but that said, I think that, you know, there have also been kind of like some, some effects of individual games, pulling down numbers and things like that. Mm-hmm. That's still, we still haven't quite broken free of, um, you know, I, I, did a, a piece today that po- posted like right before this, uh, before we started recording. And it was just looking at like the numbers of shots in one part of it. And every single game has been 12 to 18 shots for Arsenal, like in the premier league, there's no, no uh, exceptions there, despite the big, the big swath of, of XG results um, all the way from 0.4 to 3.4 per uh, stats bomb. But I guess that includes penalties, but, um, but the, the number of shots is always between 12 and 18. So, I think that I think that I'm not quite a six like you, but I think maybe I'm more like a four. Like, okay. Like I think, I think that it would benefit Arsenal to be able to flip that switch. Um, but I also, part of me also is like, 
I don't watch the game and think that they're trying and failing to attack a lot. If you know what I mean? Like, I think, I think they're being very deliberate. Yeah. Being very patient. Um, But that also said, I think there are some games where uh, there have been some very encouraging attacking performances. For example, like I think crystal palace would have ended up way more than one nil. Yeah, that was, you know, there's the still this early in the season with the, you know, the red cards can certainly skew things. Um, yeah, I think it, I think it, the part of the reason why I'm still at a little bit at a six is that it still feels like the final execution is just slightly off. So we're still getting a lot of the, you know, the touches into the dangerous locations, um, even getting the ball into into the box at a very good rate. Um, those yeah. are things that I, I find very encouraging and kind of back me off from things. But it's the not being able to convert these really good possession spots into actual shots. Um, I think the average uh, shot quality is down um, almost like across the board among our players. Um, part of that is that I think teams are adjusting to how we play. Um, yeah, so I think there's that. certainly some of that. And I think there is something to, um, I think, Arteta perhaps overreacting to the end of last year where the defense really got exposed. I think that uh, he absolutely hated that. Um, and, oh God, I think, yeah. <laughs> and I think that he is absolutely changing um, the way that we are building up to accommodate that. And I think the results have absolutely spoken for themselves. Um, the, the defense looks uh, elite to start so far this season. Um, I think that was something that I was kind of looking at um, this morning and it's, the the relationship between Arsenal's speed of attack and how many XG or how much XG or how many even shots and goals we're producing isn't very strong, but the relationship between our speed of attack and then how much XG we allow is a, a much stronger relationship. And as mm-hmm. we've gotten to this more uh, secure, slower pace, we've seen the defense being able to accommodate um, and uh, be able to be in better positions to limit teams and. I think if Arsenal maybe cut out a couple mistakes, I think there'd be a lot more uh, realization that this team is a legit elite defense right now. So I think we're we're at six goals total already for the season. So in eight games, that's already a really good spot. But if it was like four, right? So if like maybe like uh, Saka doesn't uh, assist uh, Fulham on that opening minute, if uh, Jorginho, yeah, Jorginho doesn't give the ball to Madison, um, like if we're at four out of eight, I think everybody's kind of realizing, oh crap, this team is uh, really, really good at defense. Probably not a coincidence that hypothetically, let's just say the games were completely the same. Otherwise, that's also <laughs> yeah. 8-0-0. Oh, oh. uh, yep. you, you named the two games where Arsenal did not take care of business. So um, yeah, I think I, I, I think we're on the same page here. Just maybe you're a little bit more worried than I am, but I totally agree. Like the, the it's it's I think it's especially like a, a strong point when you say the speed going forward and the correlation to uh, being able to be played through the other way. And I think that Declan Rice has been a really big part mm-hmm. of that as well. Like he's, he's just legitimately like, I remember writing his scouting report um, before the season being like, and one of my biggest things I loved about him was that he just covers so much ground. Like he's always everywhere. And, uh, and that's just been so true. Like he, he intercepts passes that I th- didn't expect him to be able to, you know, like you, you expect it to be like that, that thing where the guy goes for the interception and just misses and, but Declan Rice gets it. And then he mm-hmm. turns it around and starts a new attack. And it's just, it's been such a huge change, I think. And, and just, offers so much like 
such a strong platform to build from. Yeah. Um, and you put, you put something like that, like in front of Gabrielle and William Saliba, who are already a handful on their own. And I think it just creates like such a, such a roadblock down the middle of the pitch and, and city. I mean, Holland hasn't gotten a shot against Arsenal in two games. And yep. these are two, these are two full strength games that we're trying hard in. Like the community shield was full strength on both sides. So um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah just, I think I was looking at this the other day, and so I think uh, Holland has uh, two games in his entire uh, Manchester City career where he hasn't been able to get a shot off. Uh, both of them are against Arsenal, and both of them are are this season. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, that's a. I don't know how else like you can frame that to be more convincing uh, to me. Like maybe you know maybe maybe somebody gets injured or something and it, and it starts to fall apart again. But as as things stand. I think you absolutely have to put them at, like as an elite, one of the best defenses probably in the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess the only question is like, is it tilted too far to the you know defensive to, to be able to do it? Are we are we leaning a little bit too much into um, like the fine margins? Because I know that was something that always worried me. You know, when we go back to the Unai Emery, where he wanted to play for the one nil too often. Um, that's not what he said. I know, right? He wanted to win 5-4, right? More often than 1-0. No. Um, but that was not what his actual uh, process uh, seemed to indicate, no. even though he said it. I, I, I'm not quite that worried yet because I, I still feels like they're... It's not that we are sitting back and conceding the ball. Um, it, it is a lot more of the the Manchester City type of we're just going to strangle a game after mm-hmm. it rather than uh, seed the initiative. Yeah, no, I agree. It's it's less worrying for me because it's, you know, like I, I've gotten into conversations about this with people online and, and they say, well, so-and-so is sitting back. Like, of course the field tilt is going to be that, but field tilt, field tilt is getting the ball there and keeping the ball there. And I can't even, I can't even uh, remember how many times I've seen somebody turn it over in the final third and the, whichever opponent we're facing is, is trying to play out a pass or trying to get, get through and whether it's start a counterattack or start something a little bit more deliberate. Um, and you get Havertz getting a tackle, you get uh, one of the forwards getting a tackle, stealing the ball, you get Declan Rice intercepting a pass. Sometimes you're even getting like Saliba and Gabrielle almost up in the final third, making that interception. <laughs> uh, so I think, I think like that's been so consistent throughout the season where uh, I think I, I can hardly think of uh, very many chances, but you know, and they, they tend to be significant, right? Um, where where those chances are sort of like generated because Arsenal can't win that ball back right away. So, are they leaning too much into it? Um, maybe, maybe not. I think that the thing that we really need to see, and I I pointed this out in what I wrote today too, is mm-hmm. we haven't seen the starting attack together once. Yep, not, not even a single game. Uh, last season, before Gabriel Jesus got hurt at the World Cup, they started the four, first 14 Premier League games together, those three. And like literally every single game. And, uh, you know, lo and behold, Arsenal got off to this crazy great start. Um, so I, I really need to see, like, give me like three or four games, please, of Martinelli, Jesus, Saka in front of in front of Odegaard and Rice and whoever the left eight is, whether it's Havertz or Vieira or... Party is playing six and Rice is playing left. I don't care. I just want to see those three and see what happens to some of the chance stuff then. Yeah. And I want to, um, that's a good transition into the next topic here. And that is more talking about Martin Odegaard and how his, 
uh, output has changed um, this season. So I know it, it seems like when you watch the game, he's hunting his shot a little bit more often. Um, is that backed up in what you were able to, to find when you took a look at things today? Well, um, you know, I was actually a little bit surprised to see that he's shooting less often than he did last season about uh, what's 0.25 out of 2.6, about 10% less than last season. So um, I think that there are times when uh, one thing I get into in the piece is I think that there, there are shots that he's taken that, you know, maybe like what's the logic of taking that shot mm-hmm. is a little bit more uh, hard to find. And, and those type of things, like those bad decisions or frustrating moments, I think really stand out because, you know, I even go back to like last season when people were talking about Granite Jacka like not making one pass on one breakaway <laughs> in one game, even though he had a good rest of the game. Or, you know, I mean, God knows people do it to Kai Havertz all the time where they, they focus on one thing that he did wrong in the entire game, even though he's positive the rest or Zinchenko gets that treatment a lot. So um, but I think I think that's the standout thing is that, you know, the overall shots are down down to 2.41 per 90 from 2.68, but he's hitting the target more. Uh, one about basically one per 90 um, when he's at like 0.9 last season. But the, the, I think the thing that really stands out though, is what is the value of the shot? Yeah. Um, and where so he's taking them, right? It's not necessarily yeah. the volume. It's where they're coming from. Right. Right. So he, he averaged uh 0.11 um, non-penalty XG per shot last season. And that's down to 0.05. Um, he hasn't taken a single shot that is better than 0.13. That's his most valuable shot to date this season which is not an especially good shot. I mean, that would be a good average, but that's not a very good <laughs> shot. And uh, he's, I think that's also his only shot above the 0.11 last season from open play. So, um, you know, when I looked at his shot chart from last season, I felt like the thing that was really missing, um, whether this is systemic or something Odegaard is doing wrong, I don't know yet, but um, the chances in and around that six yard area are just not, not there right now. Mm-hmm. Like the, I think the closest shot he's got here is probably like, 14 15 yards so yeah i haven't looked at this but i think that would be interesting to kind of take a look at is what the heat map kind of looks like um and the difference between this year and this year or in last year is he playing further forward versus you know last year versus what he is now because it feels like he's had to um help further back more often um to be able to kind of build things up um i think it's one of the other things that's a a little bit interesting to kind of look at is more like also the creative numbers too um i think that's the one that's giving me a little bit more concern um so i'm looking here you know the 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 key passes um especially open play so it was uh 1.8 last year 1.1 this year passed into the penalty area roughly the same 3.2 3.1 the efficiency is slightly down Um, I think the you know the the stuff around the box just isn't quite coming off quite as easily for him progressive passes uh, 5.2 to 3 so I think that's the part where I'm starting to get a little bit more worried about what's going on like where it doesn't seem but again that could again be like we haven't seen him play with Jesus and Saka um, and I think he really really um, found uh, good relationship with both of them last year um, yeah. for some of those little passes especially into the channel um, you know I think that's where Jesus really likes to, to be able to play off of that last guy to be able to get some of these um, intermediate little through balls um, Saka when you know Rice is able to, order, um, to you know, overlap to be able to find a little bit more of those space that, that hasn't quite been able to hit so far this season so um, worried level there um, again, it's, it's kind of like four or five, um, you know, uh, 
I also get into the the passes into the box numbers this season. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, there's still there's still I think there's like that little notch that where you can turn the dial up one more there, but it's still very high comparatively to most players. So, um, but his it's interesting to me that his creative numbers also follow very closely the trend that the entire team is seeing. Mm-hmm. So I noted in this piece that um, the club XG or sorry, XA last season was 1.4 per 90. And it's just, just a hair over one this season. So about a 40% drop. Um, Odegaard's XA is down about two thirds, actually 0.7 or 0.07 from uh, more like 0.21 for his career so far. So, um, you know, is that because of Odegaard is Odegaard a victim? Is he a symptom? Is he a cause? I mean, I think this is a question that needs to get figured out. We can definitely say uh, with no like bias or hesitancy that I think that on on balance, he has not had as many games where you feel like he's creating chances left and right um, as last season. I think that he does have a couple of games, obviously PSV being a huge one. But um, if you go back and, and look at Everton closely, he created a lot in that game, uh, even though Arsenal only ended up with one and didn't really have like a lot of big chances as people love to to lean on. Yes. Um, but like, you know, I think Manchester United was a good creative game from him. Um, but he's I feel like he's also just dropped a couple of like key sort of laid eggs in, in the wrong situations. Um, Manchester City, I thought he was good, but he didn't create really. Uh, not that much anyway. I mean, he actually led Arsenal in XA, but there was very little XA to be had there. Yeah, no, but, I mean, I think that that is a, a good point, right? It's a, I think if we're going to, I guess, uh, create caveats here that I think um, kind of explain some of this stuff away, I think you you have to hit that Arsenal have uh, played a one of the harder, or a little bit on the harder side of the schedule. I mean, it's not uh, an incredibly hard schedule, but they have not played against any of the really, really weak uh, defenses yet this season. Um, which I think is a, a major factor that kind of skews some of the numbers there. And then I think like you, we've already talked about, right? He has not had, you know, the full flowing attack in front of him that, you know, being able to to do that. How much do you think is potentially uh, with the partnership with Havertz there? Um, it is interesting that I think that there's more that he could get out of that. Um, so I know, you know, thinking back to, to Mesut Ozil, one of his like favorite things to be able to to do to create reliably you know, high and mid-level quality chances was some of those back post crosses. Mm -hmm. Um, And it feels like that's something that Havertz has been open for more often. And it feels like the team hasn't quite been on the same wavelength as him to be able to do it. Um, Do you think we need to see a little bit more of that from Odegaard? I would, I mean, I would, I would look for it for sure. I mean, I think that Odegaard has not been historically, I think, a very prolific crosser. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, his his biggest career season for crosses to into the penalty area is seven. Yeah, uh, so he's not he's not a guy who's doing that a lot. He tends to, I feel like, he tends to make a different style of pass. But I do think that that there's something to that. Like um, last season in this in the final game, one of Jack's goals, you remember, was a back post header. Um, and, and I remember after Havertz signed, I started thinking about like, you know, is that the goal that they're going to look for more? I can't remember if it was, it was either Saka or Jesus who made the cross and Jack headed in at the back post, um, might've been his first goal, but, um, I could see that. I could see that working really well to your point. Like, I think, you know, you get, you get a half space possession from Odegaard, uh, Kai Havertz crashing at the back, like Odegaard can make that pass. We've seen him do that in free kicks, um, more than once. So 
I think, you know, I would love to see that drilled more for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's one of the real benefits of having a Kai Havertz as that attacking 10, eight, whatever you want to call him, is that he can make those runs. And, and it, you know, I, certainly I've had that frustration with Martinelli when they've played together is that, you know, he doesn't look a lot of the time. Um, but Odegaard, I think, does need to as well. So, yeah, it's it's a little bit of everything, honestly. Yep. No, I think that I think there's more that we can get from him. And I'm sure that the the team is going to pick out some of the clips where, you know, you kind of see Odegaard head down uh, looking for his shot versus uh, some of the passes that were open. Because I know that was one of the things when I did the, the actual real rewatch of the game, uh, because the first time I watched the the city match, I was uh, doing it from my phone um, in the, the airport terminal slash on the actual airplane. And let me tell you, that is not conducive for excellent analysis. But I did watch <laughs> on a, a real screen uh, later uh, being able to, to pause and rewind and take my notes. Um, so uh, I yeah. think that'll be a, an interesting thing to, to see how that progresses as the season goes on. Because I think that there's been um, just a lot of opportunities where we've gotten into good chances. I know there was a uh, Jesus that had similar kind of things where, um, you know, he's starting on the right wing against city where he beats his man to the byline and the cutback is open. It was rice um, often making those runs. And there was at least twice, two yeah. opportunities where that cutback was on. Um, so I think there's a, just a lot of that right now in the attack where we're getting into threatening positions, but missing mm-hmm. um, either the final decision or the final ball. So um, yeah, I, I think I the, the attack is, Okay. I think, okay. Okay. Is the way to put it. It's not, I don't think it's not, I don't think it's like something that has been catastrophic or anything like that, but I think that, yeah, I mean, it does, it does, it will have to improve. I think if not, if not um, at, at the very least in certain situations, if not completely, like completely altogether, but you know, I, I, one of the things that I have in the, in the soda guard piece too, is that, the, this these games where you get 25 shots on goal, like Arsenal don't have any of those this season yet. And I think that would actually probably go a long way. I was kind of hoping that PSV was going to do that, <laughs> um, but they looked a little bit emotionally hung over from that. So, um, you know, give me, uh, give me Sheffield United, give me West Ham who are allowing like some of the most shots in the league right now. I think uh, Wolves has been another one. Luton, obviously, um, you know, Fulham, was Fulham was a good attacking game. And I wish that Arsenal hadn't given up stupid goals in that game because that otherwise was a good performance. But um, yeah, it just, it feels like, it feels like that, that explosive, that explosion game is coming. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know which game it'll be. I'd love to see it at Stanford bridge. Uh, yeah, that'd be great. Right. I think Chelsea all... have actually been pretty, pretty solid. Um so far this season, but maybe, I mean, Sheffield United is the next league game after that. So maybe that's where we'll see it. Yeah. I think one other thing before we, you know, call it a, a break on this one, um, just kind of looking at the corresponding fixtures from last year, because I know everybody kind of likes to look at, Oh, after eight games, I'm sort of, we're flying last year. And you know, to be fair that we were flying last year, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, kind of comparing a more apples to apples type of thing. You look at here, the, the XG is roughly the same as what we were for these same fixtures. I have it uh, 14.9 this year, 15.2 last year. To be fair, there is penalties this year that are really helping that number out, but you also can't fully strip them out because like that's a major part of the game. And uh, when you score goals, yeah. yeah, So um, I think that's a, a a good omen. So we're, we're three goals down versus the fixtures last year with 16 goals versus 19. Um, So, you know, not quite 
finishing at the same level. We're still above our XG, but not to the same level that we were last year. So I think the, the signs right now are pointing towards the attack is fine. Um, we're in a, a good spot, maybe a little bit more to come when we play some of the lower teams. And hopefully mm-hmm. we'll see uh, if we're if we're still having this discussion after, you know, we we have Sheffield United. So I was looking at the, the schedule here. So we'll we'll have uh, matches against uh, Sheffield United coming. Um, then we'll have uh, West Ham, which you know could be a, a tricky one. Um, we've got Newcastle, and then we have uh, Burnley, Brentford, Wolves, Luton, um, which could really be a, a time to really uh, pick up some attacking talent. So if we're still struggling talking about this after that run of games, uh, then our my yeah. worry level might be going up. And the revenge game against Lons is in there too. Hang, let's hang four on them at the Emirates. I would, I would love that, right? Um, yeah. Just to, to touch on this, um, you know, I, we haven't had a chance to talk. What would you would you uh, are you mad at the the manager, or do you think it was the wrong choice for the the game against Lawns to to not rotate quite as much? No, I'm 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 not mad about it. Um, I don't think that I don't think that people spend enough time looking at the team sheets around the Champions League. Uh, it's not like, I, I mean, I've literally had people argue to me that what Arteta needs to be able to do is to do something that nobody else does because <laughs> it feels like the right decision at the time. I had one person trying to tell me like science may not be able to explain that this player is in danger of getting hurt, but it's still the manager's job to be able to know that. And I'm like, so he needs to be able to be smarter than science. I don't understand that. So, you know, go look at who Javi started when he went to, to Royal Antwerp. Uh, look mm-hmm. who look who Bayern Munich started when they played at Copenhagen. This is not this is not a this is not, as much as Arsenal fans love rotation and love to talk about it. By the way, Arteta's done it more this season. I, some some of it has been forced, but um, some of it has been by choice. Like for example, starting Jorginho against Manchester City. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, go go look at these clubs. I think you, you'll find that outside of uh, a certain Mister Guardiola who can put a 90 million left center back on his bench and a 100 million left wing. Um, you're just not seeing managers make more than like two or three changes yeah. from a, from a league game to a champions league game. Um, and, and it's just, it's too significant of a spot. You saw how much that game meant to the fans there and what a raucous atmosphere it was. And like on paper uh, in a vacuum, can Reese Nelson outplay uh, Facundo Medina, the left center back for, for Lons. I think, yes, he can, but this is a huge game. It's pr- probably that club's biggest game in 30 years. It might be their biggest game of the season if they don't advance to the, the group stage. So no, if he's going to make one or two changes between a league game and a champions league game, that's fine with me, especially when there are five days to the next game. Mm-hmm. I think that if you, if you want to, to zero in on Bukayo Saka specifically, um, I think that, you know, the results have shown that he should have been rested, but I think using the information that you have at the time, which you have to do, um, it, unless the report is, listen, mate, he's in bad shape. If you put him out there, he's going to get hurt again. And everybody's like, you know what? Let's do it. We're going to roll. I mean, we uh, did that with Gabriel Martinelli, supposedly, right? Like the, the, the training staff was saying, yeah, he's not ready. Yeah. And he, and guess, and guess who got, praise for that decision martinelli and and arteta and guess who got slated for exactly the opposite <laughs> decision saka and arteta uh and not to mention that we've also had 
since just since the end of that Manchester City game, we've also found out that not only was Saliba playing injured for a while, it got worse because he played in the in the North London Derby. Mm-hmm. So I think that we just there are these situations all over the pitch every game. I remember when Declan Rice went out at halftime of the of the NLD again. And Gunnar Blog, uh, James McNicholas, posted that he'd been having a calf injury since the summer. Yeah. Since the summer. And he just left one of the biggest games of the season at halftime. Like, you think that these guys aren't playing hurt already? Uh, a lot of them are. So, uh, you know, confirmation bias being what it is, people are are going to cling to that. They're going to cling to that forever. But if a, if a player, manager, and physio staff can come to the agreement that, yeah, you know, it's okay. It's okay for him to go. He might get hurt worse. We're not saying there's no risk of that, but it's mm-hmm. okay. Then I don't know what else what else you want somebody to do. Yeah. I think my my thought is that you know thinking back to this like uh, Lawns away is a tough match. It's a big one. Um winning that would have been gone a long way to being able to give Arsenal the chance to rotate in the future. Because I don't think you rotate with the group still in doubt. Not in the second I, game. Not in the second game, not when, you know, there's still a lot to play for. Like that is like we ended up losing the match and we didn't rotate, right? Like we we could have gotten, you know, something obviously like worse here being able to do this. Like this is there's no easy matches per se in the Champions League. Um, even if, you know, we do have a, a kind group for us, but this is a big match still for Arsenal. Like if we do not get out of the group stage. Uh, that's a a massive, massive uh, downer for the season. If we do not win the group and put ourselves in a good position to get a favorable draw in the round of 16, that is a major, major thing. So it's like, to me, throwing away a game or heavily rotating for a game in the sense of like not being able to put yourselves in a best position to be able to win it it, at this stage would have been crazy. And I would have uh, probably had a little bit more um, uh, criticism if Arsenal had done that versus what we actually ended up doing. Like, yeah, it sucks that Arteta or, you know, that Saka ended up getting hurt. But I think, again, you point more towards, like, why was he on the field so long at Bournemouth? Um, like, that I think is more the, deal. Yeah. The, that's the one that I'm more concerned about, right? Because I think, just like you said, right, the the, co- you know, the, the training staff probably gave the sign-off. Saka said, yeah, coach, I can do it. I can, I'm giving it for you. Like, they're not going to put him out there with, like, a massive, like, where they, they thought that it was a, a huge risk-reward, like, trade-off, like, bring no. that. So... It's a, just, just an unfortunate thing to happen. So much money in him, so much money in him this past summer. Do you really think that they're going to put their three hundred thousand pound, assuming he reaches all of his escalators, player on the pitch at age twenty two in a situation where he could cause long term damage to himself? Like, no. He, mm-hmm. I, I know he didn't train before Bournemouth, but he trained before Lens or mm-hmm. Lawn Lawns. Sorry, my American kicked in there. Don't worry. Um, but yeah, it's. I think it's just people overreacting to what's happened because because they were afraid that it would, and then it did. So therefore they must've been right. But I mean, you know what? Bernardo Silva got hurt playing against red star Belgrade. Uh, he, he almost didn't make it back for the Arsenal game. Biggest game of the season in the league so far for Manchester city. So uh, who did Kevin De Bruyne get hurt against? Do you know? It's Burnley. He got hurt against Burnley. And then he, and then he aggravated again in the super cup, right? That sound that sounds right. Yeah. yeah and I could be wrong, a, but yeah. Manchester City lost that game too. So these things happen, man. And you know what? As much as I hate to say it, like I think Arsenal got their their easiest Champions League group game first against mm-hmm. PSV at home. I think that's the easiest of the six. I think that Sevilla's devil magic is gonna make both <laughs> games hard. The they new suck. manager bounce from them too. 
they suck in La Liga. This is this has been true for two seasons. They suck in La Liga, but somehow they beat everybody. Like Manchester United were up what like three nil in that tie, and they lost. Um, so, but you're gonna have to go to Spain. That's gonna suck. Uh, playing them at home is probably gonna be a little tricky. And going to Eindhoven, I think, is just going to be a tough one, too. So, I mean, we saw that last season, the home versus away were completely different. So, I even even with what has happened, I still say uh, start Saka in the Premier League, start Saka in the Champions League. <laughs> if he I, needs yeah. a break, keep him out of the squad against Brentford, which, guess what? The manager did. He wasn't even in the squad. So, I don't know what more you can ask for than that. Yeah. These guys are all playing these same games for other clubs. Yeah. Thankfully he's got a, a break for the international duty. Didn't, yeah, he was a uh, withdrawn from the England squad. So hopefully he comes back um, at least willing to, or, you know, ready to make the bench for Chelsea. Cause I think that's a, a huge match um, overall. Um, I think that's a good spot here to, to end part one. So we'll go through some, some quick housekeeping here. Uh, this show is supported by our much appreciated premium subscribers. Um, our, our primos. Um, I don't know if we, if we have a, a name for them. Um, but mm, so you yeah, get at least uh, five additional articles per month, um, additional premium podcasts. Um, I don't have anything planned yet, but I'm, I'm going to look to see if I can get a, a good guest uh, to bring on to the podcast. Um, you also have our everlasting gratitude and love for the support that we're able to, to do to be able to bring you these things. So um, if you're interested in that, it's uh, canonstats.com and you can um, upgrade your subscription or join us. So yeah, thank you guys. Um, the, the last thing um, that I wanted to talk about here is one that I think is going to be an everlasting or evergreen topic, at least until the end of January. And that is um, Arsenal signing a striker. So uh, David Ornstein did a little ask me anything kind of thing for The Athletic. And he was asked, what are the chances of Arsenal signing Victor Oshman? If not him, which striker is on Arsenal's radar? And uh, Ornstein replied, in terms of price and profile, um, I don't see Arsenal going for Osimhen. The subject or the suspect that Napoli strike. I suspect that Napoli striker is on their list, as he will be for all top sides. The pool of quality strikers is small, and any big club looking to sign one in January will have him on the list. Um, so you, you know, says Osimhen, Martinez, uh, Ivan, Tony, Ferguson, uh, Benjamin, Sesco, uh, Victor Boniface. Uh, I can't even say this one. Uh, Boniface. Yep. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of interesting names there. Um, I know uh, we had last week was Ivan Tony week on Canon stats. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this sounds interesting and right that it, I think Arsenal are pretty happy with their striker group. Um, I've heard some rumors that uh, the Ivan Tony stuff is more agent driven than club driven. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Do you have any major thoughts here on what Arsenal might do in the winter window here? Well, there are also rumors that Pedro Nato stuff is also agent-driven. Yep. Um, Jorge Mendez has obviously got a big mouth, so that would not be a surprise. Um, yeah, I mean, listen, here's the thing. Like, this is this is persistent among Arsenal fans, I think. Uh, you know, going back to the, like, the Lacazette and Kedia season, obviously everyone wanted a big fancy striker because the strikers were not especially good. Um, and Kedia put in a good stretch, I think, down the – kind of the last third of the season, but lack overall is very disappointing. Then you bring in Jesus and over the first 14 games of the season, all we can talk about is how he's world-class and he's completely changed everything for Arsenal. Uh, Then he picks up an injury and we get three months without him. He comes back uh, and Kedia does fine, except for a a really like, what's the opposite of a purple patch in finishing that he had? (laughs) Cause that's what it was. Uh, Um, Cold streak, I guess is the opposite of a purple patch. Almost, almost yips level stuff. Um, and then 
Jesus comes back and is a little rusty. Uh, and I think he takes some time to round back into form, but eventually he sort of does closer to the end of the season. Um, misses the start of this season. Um, but people also spent all summer talking about Arsenal needing a striker, despite having the most goals in club uh, modern club history for Arsenal, um, at least since the 38 game season started. So it's interesting that it keeps coming up mm-hmm. no matter how many goals Arsenal score. And then, or, or how many of those are like equalizers because they shipped a gift to the, to the opponent first. Um, but that it keeps coming up. So, you know, I've been pretty, I've been pretty resistant to the idea just because I think that um, the key to having a new striker is going to, it has to hit one of two boxes for me. It has to either improve on Gabriel Jesus or it has to provide an option um, aside from Eddie and Kedia who might have a ceiling that could, that could exceed what we've seen from Jesus. And that's mm-hmm. not just, I don't, I don't mean like he has to be an all around striker. He can be a Holland or whomever um, if he's going to be better than Jesus on the whole. So for me, that's my big problem with Tony is I think he's neither. Um, so what, once you start getting into like a Victor Oshman, like that's, that's to me, maybe one of like the five to seven guys who is a legitimate improvement over what Arsenal already have. Yeah. Um, you get, and then you start talking about like Evan Ferguson, um, or, or Boniface, Boniface, uh, these guys are young. They're yeah. showing huge potential though. And can they come in? Can they, can they pull a Ramsdale on Jesus and start making Arteta? Like you got to play me, man. Cause you know, I'm good. Um, I think that's what I would be looking for. And that feels like way more of a summer thing. Like, I don't think I would be so surprised if Arsenal spent 80 million pounds to essentially raise the floor with a striker just to like have another option, I guess, especially with Kai Havertz in the fold. So. Yeah. And I think some of those, I think there's like two ways that this can go. So I think you can, you could see like a, an Osterman, like who I think would be like a full like replacement of Jesus. Right. I think there's, there's, he's one of the handful of guys that I think you would actually say could be an actual replacement of him. Um, I, I, you know, I'm a, a notorious, uh, I guess, apologist for Jesus where I think that his overall uh, contribution to what Arsenal do is severely underrated. Um, yeah. I think that he makes a lot of things click and makes the teammates around him significantly better. Um, yeah. I think that we see a lot more production from, you know, players like Martinelli. Um, I think even Saka um, with his willingness to uh, rotate with them while they're playing and give us that f- uh, fluid front three of being able to do it, give those guys more chances to be able to get into the box, into the good locations. Um, another striker may not have that same ability. So yeah, you may get um, an improvement on you know what Jesus's numbers are with the goals, but it may come at the expense of some of the other team, you know, some of the other teammates that are able to do there. So I think there's certainly an argument that you know you would be able to tweak your side to be able to fit in um, a prodigious, you know, a, a prodigious talent like Osamin, and I think that is uh, the right move to be able to do. Um, it is a always that is that even possible, right? Like Napoli, do they want to sell? Uh, does Osamin want to come? He seems. Well, I don't know. That's a, a complicated uh, stuff that's going over <laughs> a lot there. More complicated so. now, yeah, uh, yeah. Because everything into the summer was uh, seemed like positive. He he did seem like he was signaling he was willing to sign a new contract, do anything like mm-hmm. that. But uh, there's obviously uh, changes that have happened there with the the club and him and his agent and all of that. With uh, the club doing some stupid, stupid stuff on the Instagram and TikTok, I guess. Um, Lataro Martinez, like I, I like him again, but. 
I think he's got a lot of similar or similarities to Jesus where I'm not sure that that's a, an upgrade um, overall on him. Um, uh, Tony, I think is a different style of player. And I just, I, I, I can't get past um, just like the, the lack of open play dynamism from him. Um, I know when you were talking about in your film study, um, you looked at some of you, you, at least I think it was more of like in a passing bench, but you talked about when Brentford had more of the ball, um, his numbers. And I went and I looked at that again, um, what it's been over the last two seasons. And I think there's been like nine games total or yeah, 10 games total, 900 minutes where Brentford had um, more than 55% possession. And the numbers are just meh. Right? Yeah. Like they're not great. And it's like, that's what he's going to face with Arsenal week in, week out. Yeah, he'll have better teammates being able to do it. But he really like you watch a lot of the film and like there's just nothing of him that stands out where it's up against a low block being able to do it. And like, mm-hmm. like, I guess like you could like see him as a guy that you feed crosses into the box. But that, that's like not really his strength. His strength in the aerial duel is in the open play more like in like the edge of the middle third, final third, where he has that, like, I think you, you pointed this out exactly, right? Like where like he gets the ball and like, like how did he make that pass kind of a thing um, from some of his controls on the long balls? Um, and it's just like, I don't know how translatable that is to a lot of the time that Arsenal are going to be able to do. So mm-hmm. I certainly would have reservations about Tony, especially at the prices being talked about. Um because it's certainly not that I'm against Tony, right? I mean, I think if no. he came in similar to how we were able to get bring in Trissard, um, you know, I think Trissard was a, a real good bargain. And if, you know, to, you know, Tony is 35 million, maybe even up to 40 million. Like, all right, like that's a, that's a deal. I think that's, a, you know, I think he adds something different and an improvement over, say, like an Eddie and Kedia. It's not necessarily that like Eddie and Kedia is bad or like he's worse, but he would definitely provide a different way of playing that I think would be nice to be able to have in the team. Mm-hmm. But it's just, I have, I'd have a lot of reservations about that. And yeah, I think it's interesting to, to kind of talk about. Will not be the last time. I think it's, it's going to come up. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of weird because we came into this season, this summer made such significant additions, like a huge depth piece, rotational, like can play basically all four positions type in Uri and Timber. Uh, added a new keeper so people can stop saying we need that to replace Ramsdale. Um, added added the supposed left eight type of midfielder. Uh, added the huge number six. Um, you know we're supposed to be getting full strength attack and everything. And and I feel like I feel like this season I'm seeing a wider array of like what the what the what Arsenal needs to take the next step than I did last season. Uh, last season it was always like striker. Um, it was. It was a uh, striker. It was Jacker replacement. It was more depth at in the in the back, and now it's everything. Like mm-hmm. there are some that I'm like, what? Why do you think they need that? But um, you know, it's I don't know. It's just kind of interesting to see like how the psychology changes when when some of those steps have been taken, and uh, now you sort of have everything you've been asking for for a number of years, and you know what next? Anything apparently. Yeah, so I think there's a a lot of frustration, I think, right now in the team, which is weird, um, given where we are in the table. And with just we've, we've lost one game overall total this season, mm-hmm. a zero in the league. Um, so it's yeah, kind of a the expectations have changed and I think kind of uh, altered our perception of where we are as a team right now. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's almost, I feel like, I feel like for a lot of people, it's almost gotten to like, um, and you know, maybe, maybe we can devote more digital, uh, footprint or potting podcast time to this later. But, um, I feel like the expectation is almost raised to like a Manchester city level where if you win one nil, it has to be on like three XG and it just took a long time to finally score. And then, but you were dominating the entire game. Otherwise it needs to be like three. It needs to be four. Like close games are not a thing that title contenders do. Mistakes are not things the title contender does. You know, they don't do things like losing at wolves, for example, uh, they don't draw games to Nottingham Forest. Oh wait, no, that I'm talking. Sorry, I, th- I was trying to talk about Arsenal. I just slipped into <laughs> Manchester City there, um, but it does seem like that's the expectation, right? That every single game is a result, and you know, I mean, there's there's a lot to blame. I think on like Sheik Mansour and Pep Guardiola for that. Um, you know, Liverpool getting 97 points and not winning the league, uh, just outrageous, right? That was seven points better than the Invincibles, and they didn't even get the freaking cup at the end of the year. So it's, you know, it's interesting. I just, I guess I'm just looking for wins and, and um, performances that I can find good things to like about. Yep. Yeah. I think that's a, a good spot to end it. Um, you've got the, the Arsenal women on Sunday. So yeah, if you're, if you're in England, um, they're still, they're still looking to sell tickets for that one. That would be a real fun one to go to. Um, I know I'm looking to expand the the coverage here, trying to. So this is the first one that I'm actually um, home and able to to write about. So I'll hopefully have something to to write about after hopefully uh, the first win of the season for the Arsenal yeah. women. That's uh, crazy. They, they, they need one. They need one badly. I know the Champions League was just such a cold glass of water to the face. So yeah, I think that's a, a good one to end it. Um, Adam, thank you uh, for joining me on this one. As always. Yeah, thanks thanks for listening, guys, and uh, we'll talk to you on the next one. Cheers, y'all.